You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. It's another uh, another day of reading the Bible. Yes, and we it are is. on days forty-five and forty-six. We're doing it, you guys. Oh man! Keep going. Keep going. By the time, remember, there's only 365 days. Right. So we're almost done with the 65. We're almost to the 300. It's pretty exciting. Well, um, it is actually. And in Exodus, we are at chapter 15. We're going to cover what? 15 through 18. Perfect. They just got through the Red Sea. It's a Mm -hmm. huge miracle. Moses, whose name is drawn out of the water, has been used to draw his God's people out of the water and bury the most powerful military on earth and mm-hmm. all of their toys. Pretty amazing. And so the right response, of course, is to sing a song. Yeah. It is pretty crazy to see, like, this is just a natural response for humans. Yeah. This is what we do when our team wins. We sing. We're like, I can't believe we won. We really, really won. <laughs> and we dance and snap our fingers like Kevin Bacon in the 80s. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. So it all it, we see this though. This is the natural reaction, and uh, the song of Moses is a glorious retelling. So really, it's interesting. The first kind of written down record of Moses is recording the event of Exodus in a song, mm-hmm. and he, of course, is going to become known as the great lawgiver and will codify the laws of God. But he's the first thing he does is record this song, and he's singing to the Lord for this uh, glorious triumph where the famous line is the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And you'll see that in the Psalms. The psalmist will use that mm-hmm. line. And it's like shorthand to say our God reigns. Mm-hmm. Our God saves us. Our God defends us. And so the shorthand way is the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. Yeah, and uh, Miriam, his sister, actually picks up that line and oh, yeah. does like a little mini break-off song with it. <laughs> and, yeah. And... Uh, it's cool because she's actually listed as a prophetess in this. Like oh. Aaron was a priest, Moses is the leader, and Miriam's the prophet. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. So the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Sing to the Lord, the horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. So um, Miriam's singing a song. She's like the featuring Miriam, Moses' song featuring Miriam. Yes. She's like doing the rap in the <laughs> middle of the song. And then um, that's how we get to it. Now, of course... Like we were saying, you know, um, even if we saw miracles, we always think, right. oh, I would, I would always love God and obey him. If I just saw one miracle, I saw one it miracle. would change everything. Yeah. Uh, not realizing that every day you breathe and your body works is kind of a miracle or the sun rises and sets. But beyond that, um, you get into a situation now where you are in the desert. Yes. And, and it's kind of a place of death and judgment and isolation and... And the no reason water. it's a place of death is because there's no water. Right. And when you have at least two million people and probably the similar amount of animals, water is a huge issue. Yeah. So no water, no life. And uh, right after they celebrate, does it say, is this, this doesn't say how long they were there. Because there's another episode coming up where it's a month. Uh, that's later. three days. This is three days after the great exodus. Yeah. They come upon at, water. At, yeah. So like after coming through the Red Sea, they come upon an oasis. And then what do we drink? You know, like, are and, we going to die out here, Moses? Yeah. They're so the water, the water at this oasis is, it's described as bitter. And so we don't know if it, that means undrinkable or if it just, they didn't like the taste of it. 
yeah, some of the historical data reflects that it just tasted different than Egypt. Yeah, and so like, they were uh, complaining, yeah. This tastes like LaCroix, <laughs> and I was kind of hoping for, like, spring water, Perrier. So they're grumbling, and it's right. serious grumbling, and Moses has to do a miracle. They showed him a log. He throws the log into the water, and the water becomes drinkable and sweet. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Lord says, look, if you listen to my voice, and you, and you do that which is right, and give ear to my commandments, I will put none of these diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. He's like, well, if you can obey me, I am the Lord, your Lord, mm-hmm. the healer. Mm-hmm. So he's being very clear, like, you have to trust me. Remember what just happened. Remember where you came from, honestly. And then look to me, I will be your healer. That's like the biggest moment for me at the end of chapter 15, where God promises to be your healer. And he's also saying, as a loving parent, don't make me punish you, please. <laughs> like, you've seen what I did, I can do. So, but you also, you've seen what I can do in judgment and you've seen what I can do in salvation. So how's about you just get in the car with me and let me choose the music? Okay. Well, yeah. So moving on. So they are there for a month. Like, cause once you find water and there's so many, like you, you have to like even, they have to leave in stages whenever they right. move forward. Um, so they stay there for about a month and move on and as they're moving on now, the complaint becomes about food. Well, they did come to a place called Elim. Where well, that's where they were. 12 springs. Yeah, so, the, oh, the 12 springs there. Oh, Turn, no, you're right. There's yeah. 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. So, like, there's figs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, they're, they're, they're pretty happy now. They get through that. Then they have to move on. And this is where it's like um, a month later, mm-hmm. they depart. And as they're departing they basically are fault finders. They're grumbling and they're, um, they're saying, how are we going to eat? Right. And they fantasize. This is where they, they mm-hmm. fantasize about Egypt, which is what we all tend to do when we're trusting the Lord, moving out somewhere. We fantasize about how life was when we were so miserable and under slavery and crying and groaning. We think, oh, at least back in Egypt, we had pots full of meat mm-hmm. and we could eat all that we wanted, which is not even true. Yeah, it wasn't like, Slaves during that time did not get meat a right. whole lot. But so they're, they're like, but they're thinking of the best times of Egypt. Right. And now they're in the wilderness, kind of a free people, and they're freaking out. Yeah. So they're grumbling against God, and is this where the uh, the glory of the Lord has to appear to them mm-hmm. in a cloud? Yep. He shows up and uh, and he says, "What does he say, Matt? I'm trying to get remember exactly." Um, in verse, is it verse 12? That's what I, I think. I've heard the grumbling. Here's what he says. Yes, yes, yes. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I just love the, the idea that, God, that God's whole heart is, I want you to know. Because in knowing, mm-hmm. having intimate knowledge, you will find peace. And so even in the face of hunger, you know that I'm your Lord. And mm-hmm. I'm the God, that you know that I'm the God of everything. And I'm your God, and you're my people. That's like his heart. It is fascinating. So reading the Old Testament, growing up, like I always heard like God is so angry in the Old Testament. And reading it, you realize he's so gracious and merciful and patient. Mm-hmm. Like he's only, he's only saving. He's like personally interacting with his people 
and they are only accusing him of not doing enough. Right. And he's like giving all of himself to his people and all they can do is waste it or make fun of him or doubt him. It is funny. It's like everybody will say their mom loves them the most. Like, oh, my mom loved me. But you'll also describe your mom as spending half your childhood screaming at you. Mm-hmm. And so you could say she's always angry. Well, she's all loving and she's all sacrificing, but she's also the one who's responsible for your uh, body to be clean and your teeth to be brushed, you know? Right. And so that's, it's funny that we miss, we see the anger of it and we miss the motherly love of God. Yeah. So he's going to provide. And in the, um, so we know if you've read the story or been familiar with it at all, he provides quail at night, mm-hmm. so meat, and then manna in the morning. They call it manna. This is a quick note. It just means what is it. Yeah, because they've never seen it before. Never seen it before, so they describe it. It's like this coriander flake thing. Now, um, God says very clearly, here's what they're supposed to do. Yeah. So every day, they're supposed to go out and gather um, enough for their household to eat mm-hmm. for that day. And they're not allowed to gather anymore. And then when, so when they go out and gather, they, the first time they find out that every house has an exactly what they need. No one is lacking anything. And then God specifically says, do not take any more for the next day. And of course, some of them do. And the next day, the, the manna is like full of worms and it stinks and it's right. smelling up the whole camp. And then, so they're like, okay, we, we'll take God seriously. Um, and then God says, but on the sixth day, you will take double the amount that you would normally take, and you set aside half of it for day seven, because on day seven, you're going to rest. It's going to be a day of rest, and there will be no manna on the ground, and the manna you keep left over for that day will not go bad. Yeah. This is where God introduces and really trains his nation in the, like, the rhythms of work and Sabbath. And reading it this time, I'm realizing how important it is. We go out and we gather the manna that is miraculously provided by God. So like even our work. Mm-hmm. And so, so there's some scholars who try to say, oh, it's a natural occurrence. I've watched like shows about, oh, well, manna could naturally form. True. But why would it go bad? Right. Or... The, on the Saturday or Sunday, uh, Friday, why would it stay good? And why would there be none one day? You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. if you're trying mm-hmm. to explain it as a natural phenomenon apart from God, God absolutely uses nature. He works with means to do these things. Um, but it's absolutely from God to train his people. You work and you rest. Mm-hmm. And when you start to think that it's all you working, it stinks. And it ends up um, being your taskmaster. And if you don't go out and gather anything, then you don't have it. You get, it's like this, mm-hmm. this nice rhythm of work and rest. Um, but I did, did you notice too that um, it said people who gathered a lot, they had enough. People who didn't gather enough, they had enough too. Right, yeah. So it's like even the people who are like, oh, I'm tired, I can't do it anymore. Like no one was hungry, mm-hmm. which if you've ever had to even feed a family of five or, is a big deal that no one's going hungry. Um, so it ends then with, I want you to remember this miracle forever. I want you to put it in a jar. And like this stuff's going to be preserved in a jar and eventually be put in the Ark of the Covenant um, to remind the people that I provide your daily bread. I give you work and rest. Trust me. Know me. 
Uh, I am your God. You're the people of Israel who ate manna in the desert. Yeah. So, uh, and then we know we're given like a quick snapshot of the entire time they're there. And it's said that they are fed with manna for the entire 40 yeah. years that they are in the wilderness. And until they reach the end, like the edge of Canaan or enter into Canaan, they never see it again. Right. Imagine that. 40 years, man. That's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty amazing. So we get to the end of 16. Now um, what we got in front of us are three topics. We got water from a rock. We got our first fight with Amalek. And we got Jethro, the, mm-hmm. reuni- uh, the reunion of Moses and his father-in-law and his family. But let's start with this rock, man. So they have, they have food now. What's the next thing that you can complain about? Well, yeah, so they've already been complaining about water. But now when you start running out of oasis, and again, Moses is taking them to um, Mount, Sinai. Mount Sinai, which is also called Mount Horeb, uh, which is where he saw... The burning bush. The burning bush. It's way out of the way, by the way. Yeah. If you look at a map, it's like way south. Of Canaan. And instead of going straight <clears throat> to Canaan, they're taking the scenic route on the other side of the Red Sea, Suez Canal stuff. Like, yeah, so they're going down to um, basically where he lived with his father-in-law, the, with the Midianites. And <clears throat> so this is, they get there. They get to the, they're in the wilderness. It's called the Wilderness of Sin. And... The people are thirsty. They have they have no oasis. <clears throat> They're like, uh, God's brought us out here to die again. We should have just died in Egypt. Well, that's what they say. They say, give us water, Moses, as if he has it bottled or mm-hmm. has it rationed, which is not what they're thinking, of course. But they are, I, f- I felt like they're accusing him of, you have access to God. Yeah. You're withholding, withholding. It from us. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if underneath all these things is the accusation that you're not being a good pastor. Oh, yeah. Like, that becomes more and more the complaint. But that's the complaint of Adam and Eve. Like, maybe Mm -hmm. God's holding out. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's not giving us everything. Like, we could be gods. And I feel like that is creeping up for the people. They're going, Moses, you're holding out on us. And um, and that's where the the phrase, test the Lord, they're accusing God of abandoning them. Mm -hmm. You've brought us out here to kill us. Which, again, you know, at first I want to... um, I want to get mad at the Israelites. You guys are so dumb. But that is exactly what I do. When I start to trust the Lord and move into something, and then I'm like, God, you you had me start this church, and now no one's coming. Mm-hmm. It's going to die. Where are you? And we accuse God of like setting us up for failure or not doing what he said he would do, which is not true. And so he, he tells Moses, you go out, you pass in front of everybody with the elders and with this staff, and then I will stand before you there at this rock, and you're going to hit the rock, and uh, water's going to come forth for the people. Yeah, so it, it is the rock at Horeb, so that means it's the same mountain that he saw the burning bush at. So God appeared to him at this mountain with fire and now with water. Ooh. And fire and water, yeah. which, okay, we're reading the New Testament, and John baptizes with water. Jesus is going to baptize with fire. fire. Holy Spirit fire. Mm-hmm. Interesting, which is all kind of a cleansing, purifying mm-hmm. activity. So uh, answering the question, is the Lord among us or not? Right. That's the real question. Is the Lord with me or not? Right. And that's one of the questions that guides us in our prayers. When instead of going, God, should I go left or right? Like an eight ball, mm-hmm. magic eight ball. We say, Lord, are you, uh, are you among us if we go here or there? Yeah. Or yeah. Where are you with us? And he is so like he does. He just shows up. 
He shows up for him and gives him the water, and it's enough water from this rock. For two million people. For two million people. In the desert. So I'm imagining it's kind of like a waterfall scenario. It's a gushing, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, again, we have to, we're looking at this through the light of Christ, but Christ is our spiritual rock, and Mm -hmm. it's, he's been struck, you know, he's been struck for us, and, and by the faith, it's like uh, Jesus talks to the woman at the well, you know, like life-giving waters, waters mm-hmm. that will never run out. It's like you, the, the water that comes through faith in Christ is for our life and our benefit, that Christ is the bread, and he is the bread of life, and he's also the living waters. It's pretty cool. You see all these things happening um, in a physical sense mm-hmm. in Exodus, and they'll be fulfilled by Christ. So he uses the staff, um, does that, People are, are kind of happy for a second, you know. All right, cool. Um, he did build a... Oh, no, that, now I'm looking at the next part. So so now we have their first real... Their first confrontation right. um, with another nation out in the desert. Which, again, is totally ridiculous because I used to wonder, like, why are all these people coming at them? But now it's like, oh, when you bring two million people to a piece of your land that right. has been like... You're a threat. And somehow you're living. Yeah, like how did you make it here? And my few oases and my few palm trees, all of a sudden two million people are going to... It's like a locust. Right. So you're an Amalekite. You are a descendant of Esau. You're kind of like, this is my land. What do you guys think you're doing? You're a huge nation. We don't mm-hmm. have big cities. Mm-hmm. And this is a huge nation just coming in. So of course they fight. Yeah. And we are introduced to sweet sweet baby Joshua. Joshua, who it's the first is... first time, right? First yeah, time. this is the first time he's mentioned. He is Moses' uh, like number two, like his scribe, his uh, servant. Yeah. And the Lord... Or no, Moses says to Joshua, choose uh, for us some men, because like, this is our first battle. We've never had to fight anything before. Right. I don't even know like if they have like what kind of weapons they have at this point. Like they've just been wandering around the desert. I imagine like there's. They. I mean, they might have gotten some from e- Egypt when they asked their neighbors for stuff. Well, I imagine there's like ten or fifteen like teenage boys who found dead Egyptian soldier bodies washed up. Oh yeah, that's and they true. probably like that's looted true. them, and yeah. So one, you know, can you imagine like you and me become friends? Right, we're right. in some tribe, and we're like we both have Egyptian swords and helmets, and we just wear them, you know. Right. And little do we know, we're gonna have to actually use them, and we're like, wait, I don't want to be a soldier, or maybe I do. Anyway, yeah. So they have no weapons. They have, you know. Yeah. They're vulnerable. So uh, he says, Joshua, you're gonna fight against them. Oh, okay. So take some men, and then Moses. Uh, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And whenever Moses, basically he went up there to pray to God. Right. And whenever he prayed, he lifted up his hands, they had victory. Mm-hmm. And then whenever his hands fell down, they would be starting to be uh, beat. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's a pretty great story. Success, basically, essentially success depends on the Lord. Like, right. this is God keeping his promise that I will fight for you. And so uh, Moses is in a position of prayer. Joshua's in a position of battle. Again, highlighting like the nature of our lives. Mm-hmm. There is doing and there is waiting. There is uh, doing and trusting. And, but we ask the Lord into all of it, and we do the best we can, even though we're woefully underprepared to fight the Amalekites. Right. And 
they end up actually overwhelming yeah. the Amalekites. Uh, they defeat them, and God even uh, makes an oath to Joshua saying that uh, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. He will blot Amalek's name from out of memory. I'm like, wow. whoa, that's, that's intense. Yeah. But again, this is how the Lord treats anyone who attacks his kids. Exactly. And this is where then the Lord is my banner. Mm-hmm. So the Lord, and I was reading, banner can also mean like staff. That's what I saw. Like the Lord is my staff, kind of like a shepherd. Mm-hmm. It's a protective instrument that corrects and defends. And oh, so, yeah, yeah, because it would be tied to a staff. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So like the Lord is my banner. And, you know, we kind of get under that, that but um, it's pretty cool. So they recognize that not only are they going to be provided their daily bread, they're going to be protected against enemies. Mm-hmm. And these enemies have legitimate cause against them. Like, get away. Why are you, you're going to hurt my land. Why are you land. taking our stuff? Well, then, so now you, you move into this idea where the people of God, kind of the, the mundane, everyday situations of two million people, and you find out that Moses has been a judge. Like, I realized that Moses actually has the laws of God mm-hmm. in his heart and mind. Like, he just kind of knows what's been passed down from the Levites, from Abraham. Like, there's things about sacrifice. There's things about justice. God really cares about the justice system within Israelite society. So people are just gathering around Moses to get a judgment on all their quarrels and mm-hmm. all their problems and all the mis- misunderstandings. And this is where uh, Jethro shows up with Zipporah and the boys, the two kids, and says, hey, man. And, and they have a moment where it's like we reunited and they seem good with each other. And there's this moment where Jethro kind of says he hears the testimony of what God's done and he can't believe it. Right. Because he knew Moses like, my son-in-law is kind of a loser. <laughs> like he, he had all this position in Egypt and now he ended up in the desert and now he's going back like just to die. And I think when he heard Moses say, we defeated the Egyptians, Jethro's like, whoa, I'm scared of you. So I'm for you. And I definitely can get behind you. Whoever God, whatever God you're worshiping, I'm for. And so they have a little offering. And this is kind of where Jethro, you know, we would say Jethro gets saved. Yeah, Jethro has a moment. Part of the family. Yeah. They, he eats with uh, Moses and the elders, which is pretty cool. Yeah, the meal Before binds God. them together, yeah. which reminds you, you know, the meal we have with at the Lord's Supper, the meal, yeah. like that's fellowship meal where you're, you're brought together. And then Jethro has like great um, kind of leadership advice. He's like the, who's the guy who writes all his leadership books? John Maxwell or something? Sure. He's the John Maxwell back in, uh, you know, whatever... Yeah, he's BC. definitely the administrator and gives him like, hey, Moses, I care about you. And I, let me. And it's cool because he recognizes God's authority through it all. Yeah. And he doesn't diminish God having authority at any point in the structure, but he kind of restructures it because he's just seeing, he's like, you are going to burn yourself out and the people are going to resent you because you're not going to be able to get through them fast enough. So you bring the case to God, Moses, you give the law to the people, and then you get honest men who fear God and place them as judges. Mm-hmm. They can do the small ones, and then they bring the big ones to you. Yeah, and they kind of already had, a, like within the tribe structure, they kind of already had a loose structure already. So it wasn't like too much of a stretch to be like, oh, pick the head of the tribe of Judah, and then he'll pick his guys. Yeah. And so it, this kind of just 
naturally breaks out and is super helpful. Yeah, like so much administrative things, it just takes a little bit of focus and tweaking to think through what you actually want, and it gets there. I will say, uh, what comes through clearly at the end of chapter 18 is that Moses is the mediator before God. He goes and speaks to God on behalf of the people, and then he speaks to the people on behalf of God, which is really cool because we know Jesus as the intercessor and mediator. He goes to God on our behalf, mm-hmm. and then he comes, and he doesn't give us the law. Moses gave the law. Here's what you got to do to be right. Jesus gives us the gospel. You are right because of me. So we approach God through Jesus. They uh, approached God through Moses, and uh, boom, boom, we're in the desert. That's the Exodus reading for today. Let's move on to the Old New Testament, Matt. The Old New Testament? The Old New Testament. All right, our New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 28 and Mark chapter 1, verse 1 through 28. So let's finish Matthew. Matthew has so many awesome themes. He kind of puts everything together, you know. He starts on the outside. He announces who Jesus is, starts on the outside, the marginalized communities, right? Yes. Announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. And those people are in desperate need of healing, of being reintegrated into society. They're totally, they're all Gentiles. And um, not all, they're Gentiles or disenfranchised Jews. Jews. Yes. And so out there you see miracles. Then he moves in his last week to Jerusalem and he's dealing with the Pharisees. And there are no miracles to the Pharisees. It's all disputes over the law. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is the ultimate politician. He's the ultimate... um, theologian, and he defeats them at their own game. He gives them parables. He shows them that he knows the law. And in fact, he flips over the tables in the temple and he says, I'm moving the mountain where God meets you. Mm -hmm. And instead of submitting, that became, instead of salvation for them, it became judgment for them. And they do what they can to stop that judgment, which is murder. And so that's where we're at. They finally murder Jesus. Yeah. So they kill Jesus. And then, uh, Ironically, it Thinking seems it's like... it's over. Yeah. yeah, well, I think it's ironic that the priests seem to have heard Jesus when he said he would rise from the dead more clearly than his own disciples heard him. Right. And so they set up a guard and a seal around the tomb to kind of like keep uh, them from faking it. So then it just makes the resurrection a little more real. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and and the resurrection is then you have the women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And I just love how the Bible constantly has women understanding who Christ is before the disciples. Women being the first evangelists, like Mm -hmm. the first people to tell anybody about Jesus on earth. Like rising again. Yes. Yeah. The the first one to actually spread the gospel that Jesus has risen from the dead is women. And so I just think it's amazing. So they, Jesus says, hey, greetings. Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee. So I'm going to oh, meet Oh, wow. Him. You just like yeah, we trucked just, ahead. Huh. We just had to do it. Okay. I mean, I mean, the angel says, don't be afraid. It's the same thing, though. The angel yeah, shows Yeah, I mean, up. I just love the scene, though. Like, okay, the angel, the, the angel shows up in like divine glory. Earthquakes, er- angel of the Lord. The stone like rolled back. rolls back yeah. from the seal. The... He's the a temple guards like, like faint. True. They pass out. Uh, the women are obviously terrified, but they don't pass out like the guards do. Well, the guards also. The angel is like light, uh, lightning, and his clothing white as snow. I mean, right. that's like transfiguration stuff. That's also like Moses' face shining. Right. 
And then, yeah, you're right. The guards tremble and become like dead men, dead men, whereas the women stand there and the angel says, don't be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen. Mm-hmm. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Now go, then go tell the disciples he's risen and he's going to Galilee. And so on their way, Jesus meets them. He meets the women. That's who he appears to first. Right. So good. Right. Because they are there. Yeah. He appears to those who come to him. Yeah. He shows up. He's there. <laughs> um, and then he says, uh, go and tell them. And he's, he says to go have them meet me in Galilee, which I think is really cool. Like, right. have, me, have them meet me where this all began. It's not in Jerusalem. It's, it's not in the it's temple. It's back at the beginning. Yeah. Go meet me I where thought, we first met. I, I read that. I was like, oh my gosh, I never caught that before. Because now you're ready to go back. It's been three years. Now let's start over, only this time with the resurrected Christ with you. So cool. Well, the report. Meanwhile, while the women are telling the men about the risen Christ, we have uh, Matthew always does this. He shows what's happening on the other side. Yes. And the other side, uh, meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, you have they're reporting what happened. The chief priests are kind of recording what has taken place, and they solve the problem, and the only way they know how, because they're going to solve all their problems by themselves. And they say, tell, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Mm-hmm. So they, they're trying to fix this problem. They thought they killed him, and now they're... What they don't realize they're doing is ascribing this ragtag group of disciples who all scattered and were scared. Now, all of a sudden, they're strong and unified, and they're able to mobilize and... And somehow get in and out while these guards were sleeping. Yeah, they, you know... Like, their story is actually weirdly full of holes, like, immediately. (laughs) Right, like, the fact that these disciples could overwhelm guards, and then, you know, I mean, come on. But this is what they do, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they're going, look, we'll do the political part of this. Right. We know how to bribe. You handle the people. And it says they took money and they did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So trying to explain away how Jesus was out of that tomb, they, uh, it requires almost more faith to believe in mm-hmm. these disciples who they could easily manipulate and scare the night before or three days before, really. Um, yeah, so now... That's all Matthew cares about. So Matthew, yeah. in his account, he doesn't give much more, and now we get to what's known as the Great Commission. Yeah, so the disciples go out to meet Jesus in Galilee, and it says, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. There is no... We're not really sure what mountain, but, I mean... I'm thinking Most historians yeah. would say it was most likely the mountain of transfiguration. Yeah, where that happened, and maybe where... I mean, which would make sense. The Beatitudes were given. Because now he's like a... He's the fully divine Christ. So where he first revealed his uh, divinity to his disciples, now he's revealing it to all of them. Yeah, fully. I mean, that would be great. And he meets with them. And I love the honesty of the the Bible in verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Mm -hmm. It's so cool. Like, like we, there's no, um, what do you call it when you're so, um, the word went from my mind when, you have to defend yourself because you're not secure. There's no insecurity. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. we're secure enough in this that we can say, look, some of us doubt it. Sometimes I doubt. Mm-hmm. And Jesus came to them and said, right off the bat, and Matthew gets right to it, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So this is, we're talking about the God of the universe. All mm-hmm. authority. The authority of creation, the authority of salvation, the authority of and judgment. And it does say they worshipped him, right? Yeah, they worshipped him, but some doubted because they're Well, like, they worshipped him, and that's just another... Oh, yeah, you're right. Like, 
confirmation that Jesus received worship. This right. is him claiming to be God. Yeah. That is a claim. All authority, total divine authority. He's receiving worship, and then he gives us this command. Mm-hmm. And the command that Jesus gives us, because he gives us gospel, and even this command is full of gospel and good news. He says, go, so now go. Just go out into the world, go back into Galilee, go back and make disciples of all nations. Right, it's for everyone now. And the emphasis for this time around for me is all. It doesn't say go make disciples of people over the age of 12. Mm-hmm. Go make disciples of people here or there. It says all nations. And what do you do when you make disciples, Matt? You baptize them. You baptize them. Jesus commands us to baptize them. And you baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. But here's the gospel. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Christ has ascended. He hasn't left us. He's ascended Mm -hmm. to the right hand of God the Father. And he continues to be with us, which we'll learn in Acts, through the Holy Spirit. And he's empowering us to go. He's going to do the heavy lifting and making disciples. We baptize them. We pass on the mark, Mm -hmm. you know, and the means of grace. God meets us in the waters of baptism. And you do it in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Because we're being incorporated into all authority on heaven and earth and the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And he says, I will do it through plain old water and the word, and you will be united to me. And then I want you to know I'm with you always. That is the comfort of a parent. Like, I'm going to be with you. We can do this. I'll hold your hand. And it's not a burden. And this isn't something that's like, oh, now we got to go. We do this by the power and command of Christ. And so we make disciples uh, by baptizing and teaching. Yeah. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Matthew, that's the end of Matthew. Yeah, so that's, we're done with three books now. And if you use, uh, that's a great verse to end on. I am with you always to the end of the age. That's a promise um, right after a command to go and live. But then we get to Mark. So we transition out of Matthew, had all these great kind of Hebrew, Hebraic themes yeah. that he put together. He always, Matthew always showed like, he gave the words of Jesus, he gave the parables of Jesus, he gave the actions of Jesus, he gave the reactions to these very specific players. His flow is really nice. Yeah, I never noticed. The flow is really cool to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark already starts off completely different. Yeah, so Mark is... Uh, but the same message, of course. Yeah, Mark is Peter's number two. And the idea is he's under Peter, so he's probably similar in- Yeah. Uh, attitude and personality to Peter because he's following him and he's basically hearing Peter's stories and just like I'm going to write them all down and was Mark Mark was like the first gospel written down right well that's what I was trying to remember traditionally Mark and uh, so Matthew and Luke Matthew Mark Luke and John Matthew and Mark I'm sorry I'm saying all their names over and over again thanks Matthew and John are the only real disciples right of Christ right so Mark and Luke were under others. But yeah, I have to... I, I'm slipping my mind right now. I was pretty um, sure Mark was like the first yeah. one. Because he wrote, was just like... He, he was like writing down the highlights. Yes. The greatest hits. And then uh, Matthew and, and Luke, Luke... Are based off of... Of Mark and be like, oh, let's fill out his story a little more. Yeah. There was so much more that was going on. Right. And then John is kind of its own thing. But I do know that um, whereas Matthew was written to the more Jewish culture, um, Mark is written to a Roman culture. Mm-hmm. And so his emphasis, you can notice throughout the book, 
is going to be on the power of Christ, the power over the demonic, the power over the structures of the... Like, it's mm-hmm. more power. Yeah, so he's focusing on Jesus's actions and power, and then and then on the flip side, uh, humanity's weakness and inability to understand anything that Jesus is doing. Right. And so he will highlight even... Uh, the disciples and their slowness to understand what Jesus was talking about. So what takes Matthew five or six chapters, uh, Mark covers halfway through the first chapter. We're just going to go chapter one through 28 today. And right off the bat, it just starts off. Yeah. It starts off with John. Yeah. Yeah. It starts off with John the Baptist in the wilderness. He just skips the birth uh, story and just goes, all right, there was a prophet out in the desert uh, looking a lot like Elijah, doing the things that was said about, like, Elijah would come again. Yeah. And here's here's what uh, is shocking about John, is that he's coming as Elijah re- uh, preaching repentance. And up until this point, people who proselyte baptism, so um, Gentiles who wanted to become part of the, the Israel yeah. nation, you would receive the mark of circumcision and then you would be baptized to mm-hmm. become part of things, as well as making a sacrifice of some sort. And so John's saying to the Jewish people, you all need to be re-baptized because, um, because you need full acceptance into God's community again. You need to repent, essentially saying, repent, you're no better than the Gentiles. Yes. Which is shocking and offensive, but people are going out because they're like, is this, the, is this another prophet? What's he saying? Yeah, because again, they haven't had a prophet for 400 years. And he's eating locusts and wild honey, which is all throwback to Elijah. And also I read that there's like eating locusts, you have to clean them by water and fire. And, yeah. and like it's it's kind of, he's attacking the, 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 the materialism. Yeah. The yes. materialism of yes. the culture and saying, look, you guys have gotten all fat. And um, he dressed like Elijah and he's saying, I'm going to baptize with water because you need to be reintroduced to the community. But there's one who comes after me that I'm serving, mm-hmm. and he's going to baptize you with fire, with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that. Yeah. Mark gets through that, beautiful. And then Jesus shows up, and Mark has him, um, within like two verses, you have the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, there's yeah. no buildup. It's like Jesus, Jesus shows up, gets baptized, and God shows up. And God shows up and says, you are my beloved son with you, I am well pleased. And there's so much to say there, but that's all Mark says. Mm-hmm. It's like, and even that is amazing. Like there's no interaction like you, John saying, oh, I shouldn't baptize you, Jesus. No, no it's, it's just, just, again, Mark is highlighting God showed up to Jesus' baptism because Jesus was receiving and accepting the challenge. The authority. The authority and the to walk through death mm-hmm. for the people that he treasured. And so God says, I'm pleased. And Jesus is baptized. Boom. As soon as he's baptized, the next two verses are the temptation of Jesus. Mm. Because after God names us, sets us apart, gives us a mission, we immediately will face headwinds. Temptation. Yes. Uh, So he goes out into the wilderness. He is tempted by Satan for 40 days. And... And then it has like this interesting line of he was with wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. I know. So I, I think the wild animals is you are out in the middle of nowhere. It's pretty dangerous. Yes. And uh, the angels are protecting Christ. He's, he's fasting 
you know? So like, mm-hmm. this is important. He's fasting for his people mm-hmm. and for his work. He's it's a special way of praying. And we're actually in the season of Lent where we identify with the suffering and the um, giving up of things in expectation for victory and resurrection. So right. we see Christ being tempted and that's it for Mark. Right. So he... He doesn't even say how he was tempted. He doesn't even say... He just says tempted by Satan. All right. Like we learned from Matthew and others, the questions and trying to accuse, but we don't have to go through that today because Mark doesn't. Yeah. So he's tempted, he conquers, and then he begins his ministry. So now that he's established his authority over Satan, mm-hmm. now he moves into a ministry uh, around Galilee. And he's very clear. He says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe which is the message of Christ. He says, look, I am the son of God. The reign of God is beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like when a, um, a country conquers a place in war, but they don't get around to setting up shop mm-hmm. for a while. Well, now they're getting around to it. And God's saying, I'm here, and here's what my kingdom looks like. You repent and believe in the gospel. Repent because you've broken the law, and now receive the gospel, the good news. You're forgiven. And that's that. And then he gets to work. He calls his disciples. Yeah, so he calls two sets of brothers. Smart. Uh, Yeah, so you have Simon and Andrew, and then James and John. And I didn't catch that James and John leave their father and a boat full of hired servants. So, like, they're part of, like, a a bigger uh, organization, fishing mogul, basically, and they're leaving that behind. A company. Yeah, I was like, whoa, okay, so they kind of had some money, but they're walking away from that, and also the fact that most rabbis, they got followers because the followers chose them. Right. Jesus is going out with all authority, choosing his followers, which is not how it was done. And James and John, you'll realize they have some access to some high priests. They get into some rooms later in the story that suggest they had some money and influence. Mm -hmm. So their little fishing company um, was probably known. But yeah, so they leave to follow Christ because Mm -hmm. he asked them to. Pretty cool. And um, then we'll end today with... Jesus heals a man with an unclean spirit. So the first time Jesus, in Mark, he goes out, he preaches. And while he's preaching, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And this demon cries out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Mm -hmm. And Jesus just rebuked him, said, Be silent and come out of him. So what's And then he says that, and of course the spirit has to. It, it convulses and cries with a loud mm-hmm. voice and it comes out. And everyone's amazed, like, what kind of teaching is this? But to go back very, just quickly, it's funny that the first confession of Jesus as the Christ is demonic. Because it's going to take the disciples a long time before they mm-hmm. can confess him. Right. And it's going to take everybody a while before they can say, you are the Christ. But the demonic understand, man, their boss just got beat in the desert. Right. And they're like, oh, you're going to destroy us now because you beat our boss in yes. the desert? And if you do, I'm going to take you out. And how I can take you out is by saying your name. And throughout all kind of cultic, satanic worship, mm-hmm. names are how you get power over a god. Right. And Jesus doesn't ever use their names. He just right. commands, and they have to obey the command. Yeah, because he's the creator, and so it's pretty <laughs> awesome. Yeah, like... Um, you you get a name over something and you have power over it. And that's how people worshipped all the false gods. Once you got the name 
of a fertility god, you use it and manipulate that mm-hmm. god to give you what you want. Well, it doesn't work on Jesus, and he, by the authority of his voice, casts them out, doesn't even have to use their name, says, be quiet, because you're, you're confessing me to try to manipulate me. Mm-hmm. My followers will confess me uh, out of gratitude and thanksgiving and praise because they realize I am the Savior. Well, everyone realizes he's a, this is a new teaching with authority, and at once his fame spreads everywhere throughout all the surrounding region in Galilee. So in 28 verses, Mark has taken us through John the Baptist, the temptation, Jesus begins his ministry, the calling of the disciples, mm-hmm. and he's already established himself as a man who speaks with the authority of God. Boom. Thank you, Mark. Psalms today is Psalm 21, verse 8 through verse 13, and Psalm 22, verse 1 through 11. Which one are you going to read for us today? Um, 22 is the Messianic Psalm. Yeah. We might kind of go with yeah, let's do the, that. End of, uh, uh, the end Matthew. of Matthew. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me. For trouble is near, and there is none to help. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Remember, Jesus promises to be with you always, even until the end of this age.